Welcome back to Hug Your People, episode 20. This is Kevin. Uh, I don't know if I'm excited about today's topic, but it's definitely one that we need to talk about. We're going to talk about dad guilt. Of course, if you're a mom out there, you can take that information and make it mom guilt because it's all the same. I think parent guilt is a better way to put it. That's what we're talking about in today's episode. Episode 20, Hug Your People. Yeah, I think we're going to roll with parent guilt uh, for this one instead of making a mom or dad. I think we, we all just put ourselves through so much um, when it comes to raising kids. And, um, you know, at first it's you're, you're, you feel guilty for going on a vacation or taking time to yourself or going to the gym or getting a manicure or a pedicure. Or, I enjoy pedicures a lot, by the way, uh, or a massage. And I, I think there, there's an element of that being natural and there's an element of that being um, self-destructive to a degree, because you can't, we can't have that feeling around everything. And I'm just going to go pretty deep real quick because around Baxley's diagnosis and even treatment, there's a ton of guilt that, uh, and it's heavy, it's heavy guilt. It's not this, Oh, I feel bad for getting an extra, um, you know, piece of cake at the bakery. It's, uh, it's guilt on the level of, did I do this to you? Um, could I have prevented this? Should I prevented this? Um, should I have seen this coming? And, and I think, you know, the hardest thing for me to do lately is to look at pictures, um, from before we were diagnosed or especially the week that we were diagnosed. It's the hardest thing for me to do. Um, part of me feels embarrassed and super guilty of not being more in tune and not knowing and not uh, recognizing and not doing more. And it's just, it's this really, it's this weird place to be where, you know, my son almost died. And was that my fault? And what could I have done differently? And, you know, I'm sure my, 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 I know my wife has, you know, we talk about it uh, a little bit. Um, And at at this point, it's less of a place that we sit in for a long time. It's just more of a thought that comes up and it's something that I recognize. And then I have to move out of that place because I can't sit there. I can't sit there in that guilt or or that potential guilt or those thoughts. I can't sit there for very long because I've got other stuff that I have to have to do. And I can't let that bring me down. Um, and, and I think I'm at that point now because of the people around me. I, you know, one of the first things that Dr. Hudspeth, our, our primary oncologist at MUSC in Charleston, one of the first things she said when we were diagnosed um, to my wife and I, she said, I need you to know that this is not because, I'm going to paraphrase, but this was the essential of it. She said, I need you to know that this is not because Baxley didn't eat his broccoli or because he stayed up too late, or because he didn't take a bath, um, this w- cancer was going to happen no matter what you did. And um, I didn't know that that's what I needed to hear. Um, I certainly didn't know that that's what my wife needed to hear. And we talked about it later that that was probably the most important thing that she said during that meeting um, of diagnosis. Because, and she deals with it all the time, so I'm sure she's dealt with it on a far deeper level than, than we have. But getting over that initial guilt of, could I, could I have done more? Should I have seen this coming? Should it, um, could I have stopped it? Great day. You know, we try to, we try to put ourselves in a um, sort of a, you know, savior kind of position of, I could have, I could have stopped cancer. <laughs> you know, it sounds absurd to even say, but that's, as parents, that's kind of the mindset. That's kind of the path that we tend to go down sometimes. 
And so I think Dr. Husband saying that at that time was um, incredibly beneficial. It certainly didn't convince us that that was the truth at that time, but it did get us thinking down that path of, um, of yeah, we didn't create this. We didn't cause this. There's nothing we did that was um, making this our reality. And then... So I think I think that was that was part of it, and you know guilt comes on a second part. And we heard so many people say, "Make sure you take care of yourself first. Take care of yourself first. And my first thought when someone said that was always something not very nice. You know, um, that was my first thought. You know, even though I know their intention was good, and it was some sometimes I heard it from people that I care about greatly. But anytime someone said, "Make sure you're taking care of yourself," I wanted to. I, I, I'm I'm sorry, but I wanted to punch them in the face. I'm not a violent man. I'm not a fighter um, at all. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not tough. It doesn't mean I can't defend myself. It means that I don't respond in that way with anger as my primary emotion. And every time someone said that, anger was the only emotion I had. Um, and that was that was when it was new. And, and that was, for me, that was kind of a trigger of like, how dare you? You're not even going through what I'm going through and, and blah, blah, blah. And then... I, but I know these people, so I know their intentions are good. So as we started going through it, I, I realized that there is an element that you do have to take care of yourself. And the, I remember the first time that uh, we were started doing that, sort of taking turns. One, my wife would stay in the hospital, and I would go stay at Ronald McDonald House, and then we would switch the next night. And there was equal parts guilt and equal part relief, you know, because I did need the rest. I'm sure she felt the same. And But then there was... Also, this narrative going on in my subconscious or, or probably even my conscious mind where it was like, what if tonight's the night that something bad happens and you're not there? You know, and so there would just be this, this massive amounts of prayer of just let us get through the night and let me get back over there and or let me get back, you know, and it's such a delicate place to live. It's such a delicate thought to have. It's such a can be a damaging thought to have and. The growth that we've been on in the last few months uh, of getting past this this guilt and understanding that it's always going to come up, and I think parents all across the board, you know, you're always going to have some element of parental guilt that comes into play for something because there's no book on this stuff. There's nobody, nobody, nobody's perfect, and nobody tells you here's exactly what you should do when you should do it because everybody's different. Every child is different. Kids are people just like us, and each person is not unique to a specific equation, or you can't apply the same equation to each kid and it work. So there's a huge learning curve of figuring it out, and the same happens when you're going through big life changes, like that, like your son gets diagnosed with cancer. You know, I would probably be the guy that says, take care of yourself if someone else's kid had gotten cancer that I knew on a deep level. You know, and now knowing what I know and having been through what I've been through, uh, I definitely won't be that guy. And, and I think the only way to get that perspective is to actually go through it. You know, so I, I don't fault people that I don't put to put the blame on people that said that to me because I know their intentions were good. Um, and if you're one of those people, you know, now I can thank you because I understand it the way you probably intended it or the way you understood it. And uh, I just wasn't able to hear it at that time because let's face it. You know, it's heavy. It takes you out of the game when you have to learn that everything in life is going to change. Um, 
You know, I think, and I think for me, you know, when you add, you add the parenting guilt on top of it, I'm just going to be really transparent. I'm going to talk about a lot of things that most of you probably uh, don't know, um, but it ties in. And I think I, I wouldn't be doing, I just, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't talk about it. So you add that guilt on top of the fact that, you know, uh, my mom had an aneurysm and a stroke last October and um, she's, um, recovery went okay, but not well. It's to the point where I'll, I'll never have a coherent conversation with, with my mom again. Um, I mean, she can understand me, but she and she can form some words, but we, we don't talk the way we used to. Um, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. She's here and she's, she's able to hug and she's able to recognize. And, you know, so there's a lot to be thankful for, but she very much needs people in her life right now. She's living in assisted living um, and she needs people in her life right now. And when my son was diagnosed, I just, I can't be there. And so when you talk about guilt, there's guilt there, you know, um, that I can't go see mom. She's, she's about 30 minutes from my house and, um, to do the hour round trip and to spend a couple quality hours there, you, I have that guilt of, I, I'm either there or I'm here and either way I'm missing something for someone that I care about greatly. And going through that and so you're compounding that guilt on top of the other stuff and it really um, it's just like the cycle you know of you have so many hours in the day and you're only one person and how can you be four places at once because people need you or we think they need you and then you have this incredible amount of guilt around not being there and um, and you have to come to terms with that. And then you have to worry about your own health as well and your own family. And in my case, I'm worrying about a four-year-old who can't make choices on his own and who needs an advocate when it comes to medical care and needs an advocate when it comes to what's best. And um, it's either me or my wife or both. Those are the only options he's got um, as far as people that are really going to fight it out for him. And so you have to let go of something. And, and you've got to... You got to be okay with it and, and you've got to make a hard choice and it doesn't have to be forever. It just has to be um, intentional and it has to let your energy and your focus be in the place that you're needed the most. And when you're done with that place, if there's anything left over, then you can divide it out amongst the other people. And what I found is that helping my son um, fight cancer, being there for my wife, maintaining my business so that we don't go under financially um, and doing things that help me recreate energy so that when my son needs me again, I'm there. That leaves nothing, absolutely nothing left for anybody else. And um, what we found is that the gray area is are the things that we do together, like the wagons and the, the hats and the, and the Alex's lemonade stand stuff. My son and my wife and I, we do that together. So that actually increases energy. You know, when, when I see my son's face, when he's in his wagon, taking another wagon to another kid and he's so excited and the other kid's so excited and they're hugging, like that does something. That does something. And so we have to be really careful about this, this guilt idea and this guilt, the word and, and our feelings. And I think understanding it on, on a deeper level of, you know, what can I control and what can I not? And where are my feelings genuine and where are they being manufactured? 
where are my feelings showing up one way when it's actually just fatigue? Um, and what I found was when I was very, very tired, which happens a lot, I would be more inclined to not have a mindset of we're going to beat this. And I would much be more inclined to have a mindset of this is too hard. And this can't be too hard. It, it can't be. Whatever is required, we're going to do. Period. End of story. No decision. That's it. And that's how you have to approach every day. And so I still have those moments where I look back at those pictures leading into our diagnosis and I have incredible, um, an incredible wave of guilt that starts to roll in. And I've gotten really good at recognizing it and saying, you know what, those pictures are going to be there. Um, they're going to be able to be viewed one day and they'll be part of the story. Right now it's too fresh, it's too new, and it's conjuring feelings that I can't afford to have in the present moment, so I'm going to leave them there and wait, and wait and, and look at them later, you know, and, and I think that's the, that's the, that's kind of where I've landed uh, as far as the guilt around should I've seen it coming, you know, and the truth is, you know, because we went to, the, the week we, we were diagnosed, we were in the emergency room three times, pediatrician's office twice. We saw two different pediatricians. We saw three different ER doctors. Um, and then, of course, we were in Charleston. And so for the, the doctor out of all of those people that we kind of gravitated towards and trusted the most, um, we asked that he go back and look at uh, the process. And he came back to us and he said, uh, from where I sit, I looked at every x-ray they took. I looked at every file that was, that was placed. You know, I, 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 under, I know what you guys did and when you did it. He said, I, I don't think you could have done anything more than what you did. Um, he said, you were ahead of the curve the first night that something happened. You went to the ER, and that's probably a big contributor as to why we got to where we got so fast. And so there was a lot of reassurance in that, that, you know, uh, as parents, the last thing you want on your, on your conscience is that you didn't do everything you could do, that you left something to chance. You're like, it'll be better in the morning. Uh, let's just let's let's ride it out a little bit, and that would have been too much for me, I think. So that was reassuring, and then having Dr. Husband the, the day of diagnosis say that this isn't because he didn't eat his broccoli or stayed up too late, you know, that was reassuring. That that certainly helped us deal with the guilt of um, of doing what we needed to do ultimately. And then, you know, you didn't want to spend time away from your kid while the kid is not comfortable and suffering and doesn't know what's going on, is in a hospital, like. You don't want to leave them there to uh, feel abandoned or to feel alone. And then what you realize is they're not. You know, one of us was always there with him, and the other one was recharging the batteries if they weren't there. You know, and, and we're still doing that. We're getting to the point where that's, that's becoming even more um, possible, but also even more necessary that we create some sense of normalcy, that Baxley, that we're not the only people that Baxley is around, that he sees other kids, that he's seeing other adults, that he's interacting in, in a way that's productive for not only us, but for him. And the only way that that's okay is when we squash the guilt. And I think that's, um, that's, that's the, the process we've been through, and that's kind of where we are now, but it's also still a challenge for me to look at other people that I care about, like my mom, um, and say, uh, I feel guilty for not being there for her, and I do, but I also understand that she wouldn't want me to be there because Baxley needs me, and Baxley can't make the decisions she can make, um, her and her husband make, and, 
And that's just, that's kind of uh, something I have to live with for now. Now, this time next year, and we haven't been to see her, don't get me wrong, it's not that I never see her, it's just that I don't see and talk to her as much as I used to or as much as I would like or as much as I have the, the bandwidth or the energy for. You know, so it's it's very much a, you're walking that tightrope of knowing yourself so well and being so self-aware that you don't put yourself in situations where your energy is taken away because you know that you've got to take all of your energy and focus it on this one cause and this one event and this one person and show up big time for them because they're relying on you and they can't make choices on their own. And so you can't sit in a doctor's office so tired and so uh, fatigued that you're not able to receive information, process it, and make a choice. And we're not talking about should we um, have pizza for dinner choices. We're talking about should we have surgery that might save Baxley's life one day. It's heavy choices. So if you're a parent, you know, or even if you're not, you know, I think there's an element of where does guilt come into play in our in our daily lives? You know, do we feel guilty if we say no to somebody even though we don't want to go to the event? You know, or we don't want to go to the, the dinner or the lunch or the party. You know, is it, what kind of guilt are we inflicting on ourselves that prohibit us from taking care of ourselves even better or taking care of our families even better or taking care of um, our relationships even better? You know, I believe that we can show up for 15 minutes fully recharged and be more beneficial than if we show up for an hour at half charge. You know, and so that's, that's kind of where where we've arrived. We do have some time away for both Suzanne and I in, in the fall of this year, um, just to kind of get away. She's gonna go away for a weekend, and then um, I'm gonna go away for a weekend, and the other person's gonna stay with Bax, and that's still a little unnerving to, to think about, but we both, we both identify that necessary, it's necessary, and we have to have that, um, because we have it, and, and we haven't wanted it, but now it's kind of at the point where the dust is settled, we're clear on our mission, we're making progress, and we have the bandwidth to step away and be present and be around the people that love us and then come back with even more energy so that we can filter that energy to Baxley. And um, I think, you know, there's no right answer. There's no cure for guilt in parents. There's no I think there's always going to be an element of guilt. I think there is a way to manage it and recognize it and identify it and stay ahead of the curve so that it doesn't take you out of what's really important. And it's how you feel should be recognized, but it should also be put in its place if it's not creating more love and more positive energy and more experiences for the people that we care about the most. So it's really easy for me to say, hey, just stop being guilty. Yeah, but I'm the one who's going to tell you that it's a process and you got to go through your own process and maybe this will help you identify places where you've ignored it or you allow yourself to go down. It's kind of like, you know, when you um, are in high school and you go through a breakup and all you want to do is listen to sad music because what does it do? It festers that feeling of, of sadness and it brings out the emotions that you just need to purge. You got to get it out and then you can move on. And I think guilt's kind of the same way. You know, we sometimes just need to go look at those old pictures feel the way we feel about them, and then eventually there'll be a point where we look at those pictures and we don't feel that way anymore. So I think each person's process with guilt is different. And um, you got to find your own and you have to be just aware of it and use it often so that when your kids need you or when the people you love need you, you're there.
There it is, 20 episodes of Hug Your People in the Books. It's exciting, I guess. Uh, I hope you're finding this helpful uh, or insightful. It sure is helping me a lot. I'm still still going through the early stages of figuring out how to talk about this on a big level. But things that I am very proud of is I'm very proud that we've got um, our 11th Baxley Wagon placed uh, with a wonderful family. Not only that, but uh, thank you to Linda Piazza, supporting the memory of her sister, Diane, uh, who passed from cancer. The Piazzas and their friends and family have uh, funded the next 10 wagons for, man, that gets me choked up a little bit. (laughs) They funded the next 10 wagons for Baxi's Wagon. So we have 10 more that we're um, finding families for, and that's really exciting to us. And uh, we couldn't be more proud to carry on Diane's memory um, by helping these kids and their families. And I know that she is looking down just very proud of what her family's been able to help us achieve uh, with these other families. So um, big love to, to Linda and Diane. Uh, thank you very much. And we certainly pray and think of you every day. The hats are in, Hug Your People hats are here. And we've got, we're about halfway sold out with the hats. Um, and then we'll have another run probably coming in the fall. Uh, maybe with some t-shirts if we feel like we need to raise some more money. But all of the donations from the hats Hats are $25, about 12 of that covers the cost of producing the hat, and then about another three to five for shipping. And then the balance of that goes directly to a foundation at the Mayo Clinic with Dr. Gargallo, who specializes in rhabdomyosarcoma, which is the type of cancer that Baxley has. So there is, and to put perspective, there's very little funding around this particular type of cancer and the treatment protocols that we follow um, are 50 years old. And so there hasn't been a lot of finances put into studying this type of cancer and that will allow us to update. That's why we're being very careful in our decisions. That's creating more difficult decisions than science probably should allow. But we're happy to support Dr. Gargallo and his mission. And we hope you will too. If you want a hat, um, go to my Facebook page. There's Venmo information and ways to get it. And we'll ship one out to you ASAP. We've got, we've got about 40 or 50 more. Um, so I suspect they'll go quick, and then we'll, we'll look at doing another run of those. Alex's Million Miles starts September 1st. I'm ready to start running and moving and biking and walking for these kids. We're coming up on $5,000 donated to Alex's Lemonade Stand. I can't tell you how shocked I am and how grateful I am for, for everyone who's donated. I thought that we might get 100 bucks or $500 bucks um, because I just that's what I thought. And uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. This was a very special... Um, participation piece for me because before we were even diagnosed in the hospital, it was the first thing I did when cancer came up, as I said, well, I've got to do something. And this was the only thing I could find that I could contribute to that made me feel like I was part of it and not just on the outside looking in. So that's why this is so important. Our goal is $15,000 for Alex's Lemonade Stand to um, boost pediatric cancer research overall. Uh, And we're about a third of the way there. We have until the end of September. Again, go to my Facebook page, find the Alex's Lemonade Stand link if, um, if you want to join us and, and take donations and run and walk and bike and, and move your body for the kids. Or if you just want to uh, throw some money at it, we're happy to take that and we can even take pledges based on our mileage. So it's really exciting. I, I'm, I don't know how big these things are going to get. I do know that if you're listening to this, you're part of it and you're, we're, we're so grateful that you're in our lives and that you're helping a bunch of other kids who are um, going through similar things that we're going through and that we have the um, network and capacity to really spread your love, not just 
to us, but spread it out to other families out there. So thank you very much. This was episode 20. Hug your people. 